630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Hope you're having a great Friday evening. After 3, the Dodgers up 3-0 on Tampa Bay in Game 3 of the World Series, which is tied 1-1. We'll keep you updated on that. We had former Expos pitcher Mike Johnson on the show a little bit earlier to talk about what he has seen so far in the World Series. Always good to catch up with Mike and he let you know about the great work he's doing at the Five Tool Fieldhouse. 780-496-0063 is the number to call or text. Dale says, hi, Reed. What if Tyson Berry has a great year with no cap increase in the next seasons? How can they sign Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Tyson Berry plus upgrade the goalie? That is from Dale. Well, Dale... Thank you for looking ahead, first of all. Um, Look, first of all, let's see what happens. Um, Let me speculate, though, a little bit about uh, about next season. Uh, Right now... Okay, let's look at... Dale, I'll just throw this scenario at you. Let's say James Neal is claimed by... Seattle, that's uh, $5.75 million. Let's say uh, Alex Chason is not re-signed. He makes $2 million. Uh, Tyler Ennis is an unrestricted free agent. He makes a million. Gaetan Haas makes just under a million. So potentially there's about $8 million up front. And look, on the back end, uh, let's say Adam Larson isn't back. That's just under $4.2 million. And maybe, and and look, I, I am. This is just speculation. But if Tyson Berry has a big year, and if Broger, Broberg and Bouchard are ready to go, it is very possible that one of Darnell Nurse or Oscar Clefbaum gets traded. I, I think we have to. I think we have to acknowledge that that's possible if younger defensemen are are pushing their way into the lineup, and the, the Oilers maybe have a cap crunch and Berry comes back. So I, I mean, there is the potential for. Uh, and and that's, you know, I'm listing off about 14, $15 million that could possibly be either not be resigned or, or, or moved out. So I, I I totally understand your question. There's a lot going on between now and then, but you you can look for yourself, Dale on capfriendly.com and it tells you what Oilers players are slated to make next season. Now I get it. It's not easy. This team needs depth and that has to be rounded out maybe there are some internal solutions, you know, maybe Benson, you know, Yamamoto's on, uh, well, he's actually going to have to get a bigger contract for next season. So yeah, there are issues, but there also are players who might not be on the Oilers next season, either for one reason or another. So appreciate that. But, uh, and Dale says, think he thinks uh, nurse will be gone. Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, look, um, like I said, if you look at the, the salary structure and the way the Oilers are composed defensively, especially if Barry is back, I mean, it, it is possible uh, kind of a stalwart on the Oilers' defense could could be moved along. I mean, Clefbaum's name was supposedly being bandied about in trade rumors uh, a little bit after the season ended. So, you know, keep an eye on that. B Money says, hey, Reed, I think the big question is, can the CFL survive if the next season is also canceled? I think that maybe would be the death knell thoughts. Uh, well, sure. I mean, wow, you guys are getting, I can tell there's not a lot of sports going on. Some of you are really getting ahead of yourselves here. Usually leave that for me, everybody. Sure, if the 2021 um, 
season gets canceled in the CFL, I'd, I'd be very concerned about the future of the league. But we're, we're a long way from that being decided. 780-496-0063, the number to call or text. Chris Russell, who does have a contract extension for the uh, next year, so he's going into the final year of his contract, signed on for one more year after that. On Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer earlier today, talking about being a role model for some of the younger Blue Liners. I was actually very fortunate when I get, when I came into the league. Um, we had a lot of veteran guys in Columbus, of like of Mike Pekka for Fedorov, um, Adam Foote. Um, Jason Schmier was another guy that I looked up to and helped out, but uh, yeah, Hitch, Hitch put me right beside Adam Foot right from the start of camp, and that's kind of where my stall ended up being. And uh, to learn from a guy like that and listen to a guy who had played so hard and was such a great player in the league, and uh, just from the day to day things he could help me with, and uh, just how easy it was to come to him and talk to him and how available he made himself. So uh, sure showed a lot on me, and I, I try and be in the same way. I don't know. He's, Yes, young guys, I guess, but uh, if there's anything I can try and help with, I try and uh, give back as much as I can. All right, a little bit there from Chris Russell, who was on Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer earlier today, and you can get that full interview on 630Ched.com. Brian texting in, he says, are you kidding? No way Seattle takes James Deal unless they're the worst management in league history. Well, look, it's possible, and you have to remember, there's not just a salary cap in the National Hockey League, there's also a salary floor. Uh, The upper limit, $81.5 million, the lower limit, $60 million. So they are going to have to take some some players who maybe would be considered overpaid to get to the salary floor, depending on who else is available. And don't forget, as we saw with Las Vegas coming into the league, there can be side deals where – uh, trades can be made, draft picks are exchanged with an agreement that a certain player will be claimed off the roster. So look, this again, we're really speculating here, but maybe Ken Holland says, uh, here is our, uh, you know, here's here's a second round draft pick and, uh, and a prospect and you're going to give us a third round draft pick with the guarantee that you take James Neal and you take that salary and we don't have to worry about it. So it, things can happen, Brian. And look, we don't even know how the season's gonna gonna play out for the Oilers and how some of these people are gonna perform. But yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely cap concerns for the team, as there probably are for about two thirds of the league, if not more. So we have to keep that in mind. But it, it is interesting to see some players uh, not finding contracts. I mean, Mike Hoffman is still out there. I think Drake Kajula, Drake Kajula played for the Oilers. He's a good player. He's not a star player, but. Uh, he has a role, and I think he can perform it pretty well. He's still looking for a deal. So I also think that players are eventually, if they want to stay in the NHL, they're going to have to sign for discounts. So that might help teams get around some cap issues too. It is now 4 nothing for the Dodgers. It's seven We're going to talk to a gentleman who recently nailed a hole-in-one on Inside Sports. Nothing for the Los Angeles Dodgers, top of the fourth, leading the Tampa Bay Rays in Game 3 of the World Series. Well, our next guest has joined us uh, in a few capacities over the years here at Inside Sports. He was a reporter with the Edmonton Journal, 
he has uh, most recently been the Canada West Marketing and Communications Director. He's moving on to a new job. And most importantly, he has uh, joined us at times simply as my golf buddy, one of the few people patient enough to play several rounds of golf with me every summer. And he's got a pretty interesting golf story to tell. Please welcome back to Inside Sports, Evan Dom. Evan, how's it going? I'm doing well, Reed. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for coming on the show. And uh, and I hope you can find a way to continue to be a guest uh, as your career is taking you to a uh, to a different city. And we will talk about that. But first of all, you got a hole-in-one, every golfer's dream. Take it away. Tell us what happened. Yeah, I mean, it was about, uh, what's the date today? I don't even know what the date was. It was October 7th when I got the hole-in-one. It was my second-last round of the season down at uh, Devon. And I don't know if anybody's played Devon before, but it's a, it's a nice track, a shorter track, but worth your worth your time if you get a chance next season. But anyways, um, obviously, I, I've played down there a number of times. I've played with you a number of times there. I've been close to a hole-in-one on some good shots. Um, but this was not a good shot. It was uh, an uphill par three, 175 yards. Uh, there's a slope on the right-hand side, pretty significant slope. I hit it off the toe. It hit at the top of the slope and uh, rolled all the way down and apparently went in the hole because the people on the next tee came down and started screaming that it was in. And I, I can't repeat what I said on, uh, on the radio here, but I said uh, not, not a fat chance, essentially. And then when we walked up and, and saw it uh, in the hole, I, I, I said, thanks, I guess you guys were right. So it was, uh, you know, it's funny. You, you play the game, you play a lot of rounds, or at least in my case, I play a decent amount of golf. And you hit some really good shots that don't go in. And that was a really bad shot that uh, ended up going in. And that, that's the game in a nutshell. Sometimes you hit a great one that doesn't work out, and sometimes you hit an awful one that does. Yeah, well, it seems like none of mine work out. But that hole, there are five par threes on the Devon course, and I would say that that would have been, if you would have told me you got a hole-in-one, that probably would have been my fourth pick to get an ace because, uh, I, I mean, certainly number 12 is very short and you can take a direct shot at the pin. Uh, you know, 12's a little longer, but you can get the bounce up. Um and nine, certainly nine, you got a chance. Even though there's water, it's a straight shot to the pin. I mean, seven or number two, which is a longer par three, I, I would have said those would have been the least likely ones for an ace. I would agree with that. Yeah, number two is probably the hardest par three um, I play on a regular basis, 235, which is uh, not particularly fun. And seven would be the second hardest par three. I'd agree with you. So, yeah, it was fluky, but it was, it was pretty cool. Um, it was a, it came on an interesting day for me when, when kind of <laughs> word of my departure from Canada West was starting to, to leak out. And I, I didn't realize anybody cared about that, but apparently some people do. Um, yeah, so it was, it was a, a really, a really nice way to sort of cap off golf season. Did you keep the ball? I kept the ball. It's sitting in my, uh, in my nightstand right now. I got to figure out what to do with it all. I'll spit shine it up and, and put it on something so I can remember that I was at one time competent uh, at the game, at least for one shot. <laughs> did, did, uh, did you take the ball out of circulation immediately or did you finish the round with it? No, I took it out of circulation because on the next tee, um, I hit the ball into the bush and just about lost it. I, I found it, but I knew I would do that because uh, I figured I would, would maybe lose my focus for a moment. You know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm good, but I'm not that good. So I occasionally do lose my focus like the rest of the world. So I figure uh, best if I take this out because I will probably put it in the bush. And I just about did. 
Evan Dom joining us tonight. Uh, you've spent the last several seasons with Canada West. You've been around university sports a long time. I mean, your dad used to coach the Golden Bears, Rob Dom. Um, how, from your perspective, you know, just the fact that they're not going to proceed with, with a season, how is this concerning long-term? I mean, I know it's not a big money TV league that gets tens of thousands of fans, but just the, um, the, the pitfalls of, of going out of the public eye that way for a full season. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There's some, you know, there's certainly plenty of disappointment to go around that we won't be on the field of play in a, in a conference format, at least this year, Reed. Um, you know, I, I will say that our, our members, many of the programs are continuing to train. We've had some non-conference competition in, all, in our fall sports, particularly soccer that's been ongoing. And, you know, members are working to have non-conference in the, in, in the new year in hockey, basketball and volleyball. So I'll just throw that caveat out there. But it's not the same as playing conference games. It's not the same as playing for a Canada West Championship, and it's certainly not the same as playing for a national championship. So that's challenging. But at the same time, I mean, you know, COVID has certainly rocked the university sport world. It's it's rocked the globe as a whole. Um, I don't think anybody knows what anything is going to look like when we get out of this, to be frank. And, and anybody who tells you that they do is is, is full of something. So, you know, there's concerns about what uh, what this season will do to us long term. But, um, you know, at the same time, university sport has persevered through, uh, you know, lots of things in terms of impact on budgets from, you know, provincial governments, impact on budget uh, based on, you know, institutions enrollment. Uh, there's a whole bunch of factors that um, are behind the scenes, certainly more than a pandemic that, uh, force administrators and universities to uh, adapt and change over the years. So um, I, I certainly, I'm not diminishing the, the significance of COVID-19 and its impact on, on university sport or society as a whole. But I, I think it's a little bit alarmist for people to think that university sport is somehow going to wither away. Um, those people are probably the same people who think that the CFL was going to die in the mid 90s or, or whenever they went to the u.s expansion so you know it, it's easy it's easy to be cynical um sometimes it's difficult to be positive but I, i'm saying this uh, based on obviously some some knowledge from behind the scenes but just sort of looking at it as a sports fan too uh university sports going to be around for a long time maybe our formats look a little different next season and, and beyond but, uh, you know, I have no doubt that there's going to be a robust Canada West competition um, as, as soon as we're able to do it in a safe environment. All right. And, and you're moving on to uh, to work for the Regina Pats. So we're going to miss having you here in Edmonton. The WHL is shooting for January 8th. They said that's a, that's a pretty firm target. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, this opportunity and stepping into the world of major junior hockey. Yeah, I'm really excited about the chance to to go to Regina and join a new organization. Obviously, like you mentioned, I've been around university sport for a long time, basically since I've been five. Um, you know, watching my dad coach at the U of A, and it's it's bittersweet to leave that side of things. But at the same time, you know, the time comes for something fresh. Uh, challenge yourself professionally. Um, the opportunity with the Pats is in a is in a marketing communications role, similar in terms of the scope, but obviously very different. Working at a member level versus, or a member at, at a at a team level versus a conference or a league office. So I'm excited about that and and being around events and being around the team. You know the coaches, the players, and those type of things. 
um, you know, and sort of the outcomes for my work will change significantly. I mean, uh, bottom line is, is I'm, I'm trying to present uh, the Pats in the best way possible and get people interested in the team and showcase our players and what we mean to the community and all that sort of thing. So not as high level as, as at a conference where we're really working with members and trying to build the overall, uh, you know, the overall brand of our, our members collectively, which is a, an entirely different challenge. So, I, I'm I'm really excited about it. It's it's a big move for my family. Um, you know, my wife and my little guy. Uh, we've grown. You know, he's he's not that old. He's 18 months, but our our family's pretty deeply rooted in Edmonton. So that's going to be tough. But at the same time, uh, when opportunity knocks and it's a good fit, uh, sometimes you need need to take a leap of faith. And you know, the paths have been. Uh, nothing but professional and great to me through the process. So uh, I'm really looking forward to something fresh. And, um, you know, people uh, people think that I'm a hockey guy just because of my dad's background. And um, I certainly love the game. Um, so, you know, getting, getting back to my roots a little bit, so to speak, being around uh, hockey on a regular basis, day in, day out, all year long is, is something I'm looking forward to as well. Well, we wish you the best with that, and we hope we can still have you on the show. Uh, One of my best memories of hosting Inside Sports is the night you came into studio and we got sidetracked talking about rural Alberta golf courses and the uh, the text lines absolutely lit up with uh, with people from small towns pitching theirs as uh, as the best place to leave the city and, and go play and we got to venture out to a few courses over the course of our friendship as well thanks for checking in tonight all the all the best congratulations on the hole in one say hi to your family for me okay Thanks so much, Reed. I appreciate it, and uh, don't be a stranger. Um, we can always talk. Uh, we can always talk hockey down the road. Look, I appreciate uh, all the opportunities on your show, and uh, I'll be listening from afar. Right on. That is Evan Dom checking in tonight on Inside Sports, and when we get back, a multi-sport superstar who's going to the U of A. Dodgers leading the race 5-0 in Game 3 of the World Series. Thanks a lot for checking in tonight. 780-496-0063 is the number to call or text. Chris Russell, Oilers defenseman with the new contract extension, was on Oilers now with Bob Stoffer earlier today. You can listen to the full interview by going to Bob's page on 630ched.com. I am pleased to welcome back to the show a very accomplished athlete. It is Madison Willen checking in. Madison, you're on with Reed. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Doing very well. Uh, good to talk to you again. Now, now you you were you were a Pandas rookie last season, but I know you were on the show before. Were you on uh, when you were a Panda, or were you on when you were playing Midget AAA? I was on when I was playing Midget AAA for St. Albert. Okay. And what did we talk to you about? You have to refresh my memory. I believe we're promoting everyone to come out and watch our Pacific Regional Championship against uh, BC. So were, were you on the t- Were you on the team that didn't lose a game for two and a half years or something like that? Um, I, no, <laughs> not like that. But uh, I was on a team that won three consecutive national championships. That's what I was thinking of. Okay, so you lost a couple games along the way, but you won all the all the national titles. Okay, yeah. cool. Well, thanks for coming on the show tonight. We have a few things uh, I want to hit on. Let, let's start with uh, the the hard news story, the, the tough news story that, um, 
you know, there's not going to be a Canada West season. There won't be national championships in, in hockey. Uh, as a youth sports player, tell us about getting that finality. Well, it definitely didn't come as a surprise. We kind of had a feeling that things were going to turn out that way. But uh, I think all the athletes were all kind of in the same boat. And um, it's just about dealing with it in the ways that we see fit and making sure that we stay safe and adhere to the guidelines so that we can go back um, sooner. Tell me what the, the the pandas, what you and your teammates have been able to do. I know the Golden Bears have been practicing and and doing you know a lot of early morning stuff and things like that. What uh, what have the pandas been up to? Uh, we've been sticking mainly to our uh, usual schedule, where we work out three times a week and we're on the ice four to five times a week. And uh, the main goal for this year, and that we have agreed to, is to focus more on individual development. And this is a year like any, unlike any other. And so, um, yeah, we're just trying to take it one day at a time and uh, making sure we're also staying safe by doing so. Now, you know, so you went from playing for the St. Albert Slash and you had all those awesome seasons there. And for the Pandas last year, you were the U Sports Rookie of the Year for women's hockey. So not just for Canada West, for the entire country. Tell me about winning that honor and and how come you had such a good rookie season? Yeah, I'm obviously obviously very humbled to win that award. There is uh, a lot of other female players that also had great seasons and uh, obviously a lot of my success in that season it stems from the support of my teammates and coaching staff and uh yeah, like I said, very humbled to win that award, but uh, I definitely didn't do it alone. What was the biggest transition to you to playing university hockey? Uh, I think the biggest transition is you're now playing with women who are up to five years older than you, or some who are even playing as a 27, 28-year-old who may have played in Europe and come back. So I think uh, just the size is a lot is a lot different and especially the pace of play i think those are the main two factors that are a lot different than midget hockey what are you studying i'm currently in the faculty of science uh, majoring in statistics and minoring in business did you find any uh, it at all challenging to play university sports and and keep up with with your studies did you have to do some juggling there yeah, it's definitely, uh, you definitely have to be very diligent with your time management, especially when you have on the road games. As an example, if we travel to Manitoba or Saskatchewan, we usually leave on the Thursday, so then we might miss classes on Thursday and then we'll obviously miss all of Friday. So just making sure that you're keeping up with your work and contacting professors if necessary. Okay, Madison Willen joining us tonight. Inside Sports. Now we got to talk about your other athletic ventures as well. You're a member of the Canadian National Women's Baseball Team. Yes, yes, I am. Okay, what position do you play? Uh, I play third base, but I've also played second base and I've pitched a bit. But I'm I'm leaning more to a starting role at third. Okay, now how you're you're pretty young. So how did you make the team at such a young age? You must be pretty good. I actually made it first as a pitcher, and then um, I, as I went in through the lineup, I 
developed my hitting uh, to be more consistent. And so that landed me a spot in the field. And I had grown up playing infield anyway. So um, playing, being able to play infield and hitting were two factors that led me to now play more third base. All right. So how often does the team get together for competition and for practice? Um, the national team is a little bit differently. Um, we all play in our provinces and we compete in a national championship where after that national championship, they take the top 25 or 30 athletes. And then we have a, a national team tryout camp for three to five days. And then that's when they pick the team. And then, yeah, this year has been very different. We didn't have a chance to have a national championship. And our World Cup this year that was supposed to happen in November got postponed to next year. So it's definitely been very different. But, yeah, we usually just get together at nationals, and then they pick the team from there, and then we move along. Okay, so uh, you're excellent at hockey. You're excellent at baseball. I understand you also won the club championship uh, in golf. Where was this at? Uh, this is at the Derrick Golf and Country Club. <laughs> and how long have you been golfing? Uh, pretty young age, probably the same time I started out hockey and baseball. Yeah, All right. I enrolled in, uh, in junior night at the club when I was little, and um, I com- I was actually um, a competitive golfer until I was 14, and then I stopped playing competitively to focus more on baseball. But uh, I've been playing golf for quite a while. Okay, so uh, do you, is there somebody in your family that you get athletic genes from? Is it just you've always naturally been good at sports? I know you put the work in, but how, how come... I mean, a lot of people would be thrilled to be a high-level athlete in, in one, and you're in three, and maybe more we, you haven't even told us about. Well, I think I definitely get it more from my mom. She grew up playing a lot of sports as well, and she's very talented in that area. And my dad also grew up playing sports as well. And so uh, I'm fortunate enough to for them to um, put me in all of these different kinds of sports and see which one I like and to allow me to progress and to be able to play these three sports at a high level. Yeah. Do you, do you have a favorite if you absolutely had to pick one, dare I ask you? Uh, some A lot of people actually ask me that, and I can't really give an answer. I just say that I like that sport in that particular season. Who's your favorite athlete? Who's someone you look up to? Um... It depends on the sport. For uh, women's hockey, I definitely look up to Marie Fleet-Coulon. And uh, for baseball, I look up to Nicole Chansky. Sorry, we lost you there. Who's your baseball hero? Oh, Nicole Chansky. Okay, cool. All right. And do you have somebody in golf? Uh, <laughs> um, Brooke Henderson. Well, okay. Well, that's a good pick. Yeah. yeah, pretty good. Pretty good pick. Well, Madison, thanks for sharing your story with us. Uh, you know, all the best. It's too bad we're not going to see you play Canada West and national championship games for uh, for the Pandas, but but that'll be back. And thanks for filling us in on your uh, exploits in baseball and golf as well. Good for you. Thanks for making time for us on Inside Sports, and we'll talk down the road, okay? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. 
That is Madison Willen. Man, great story. So U Sports Rookie of the Year for women's hockey. She's on the Canadian uh, women's baseball team, and she uh, won her club championship in golf, which is kind of sounds like a little bit of her like her side sport now, but she can still get out there and win a club title. Very talented, and of course, she's from St. Albert. Shout out to St. Albert. If you're uh, in St. Albert, we're going to randomly hide five canned hams around your city this weekend. Maybe you'll find one. Bag milk when we get back. What do we have here, Kellen? This is Nervous Man by Armored Saints, sent in by Adventure. All right. Good stuff. Avenger, thank you for texting in. We do take requests for songs you would like to hear coming back from break. We prefer guitar rock and please no naughty language in the first 30 or 40 seconds of the song. We cannot put that on 630 Chet. We can put on the radio, though. Guys named after something you would find in your fridge. Please welcome back to the show from Weather's Nation. It's Bag Milk. Hey, Bago. It's just always a pleasure to get an intro like that, you know? Every well, time. Feel great about it. I'm glad you should feel you should feel great about it. I, I, I'm glad that came up because our previous guest is the uh, was the reigning, well, she still is, the reigning university female hockey player rookie of the year. She's on the Canadian National Women's Baseball team, and she won her club championship in golf over the summer. So then I was like, oh, my God, how am I going to introduce Bag Milk? So I found a way. Well, it's just a little piece of Canadiana, one after the next. It's saving the best for last. I get it. I'm honored and flattered that I'm following such a prestigious guest. Well, where were you four years ago today, my friend? Four years ago today, I was, well, at this point in the evening, I was celebrating an Edmonton Oilers win in Winnipeg after the Heritage Classic. It was uh, a wonderful event. I had never been to an outdoor game before. It was a massive win for the Oilers. Our buddy, friend to everyone, Mark Latesti, with a big goal to close things out. I loved it. What's not to love about it? No, but that day was a strange day because the game was delayed, what, two and a half hours because they didn't realize that the sun is positioned where it's positioned at that time of year? Yeah, that's exactly right. So we show up at the football stadium early, bright and early, because we wanted to kind of soak in the sights and, you know, check everything out. And then as the sun's hammering down on the ice, it just, it, it was glowing. It was translucent. It was like a fluorescent bar light, just a beacon of hope. But I guess that's not great for uh, an NHL hockey game as opposed to a little game of shinny on the outdoor rink or something like that. So, yeah, about a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour sun delay before things finally got going. And then that was just an extra couple hours to drink and party. And I ended up meeting Glenn Anderson during that break. So it was, it was great. <laughs> what did you talk to Glenn Anderson about? You know, I didn't talk to him about anything. All I said was, it's nice to meet you, Mr. Anderson. I appreciate the way you played with just reckless abandon and charged the net. And he said, thank you. We took a quick picture, and that was it. So I was very, very mindful of his time. But you know what? To be honest, it was awesome watching him because he was just schmoozing with people. He had a couple of minutes for everybody. He was very kind and generous with his time. So it was really, really neat to see. 
so you were in the the football stadium there, Investors Group Field. Uh, how how many? What percentage of it was Oilers fan? Oilers fans. I mean, I, I don't want to like it wasn't half, but it was it was pushing half. I would say thirty five percent, forty percent were Oilers fans, and it was just the atmosphere were great. The people in Winnipeg were so welcoming. We had so much time between. Uh, you know, warm-ups and when the game actually started with that sun delay, what ended up happening is that all our sections just turned into a giant party and everybody was in a great mood and chirping Jets fans and they're chirping Oilers fans. And it was a lot of fun. It was a great atmosphere. They put on a great event and it was fun to kind of look back on it a little bit today and just remember how much fun we had in Winnipeg, despite having to take a very long bus ride, Reed, as you know, because there is no airport in Winnipeg. That's that's right. So did you fly to Fargo and then bus to Winnipeg? Well, we didn't have many options, right? So we either flew into Fargo and bust into Winnipeg or Thunder Bay. So we chose the Thunder Bay option and then took the long bus ride in. There was some direct flights from Calgary to Brandon, but we couldn't make the money work on those ones. So we had to do the bus ride. It was unfortunate, yeah. but it got us there. Yeah, well, I remember that game well because we wound up doing about a three-hour or three-and-a-half-hour pregame show instead of a 90-minute, <laughs> though Bob and Jack wound up doing a lot. But I remember that game because the Oilers were 4-1, and one, and it was like, ah, oh, well, yeah, but they've played four of their first five games at home, and, you know, they've been bad for so long, and then they go into Winnipeg and, and, and got the shutout and were 5-1, and one, and obviously they went on to make the playoffs um, that season, they were in the playoffs this past season. Uh, didn't go very well. How are how are you gauging things uh, at Oilers Nation? With well, let let's start with the Chris Russell signing. He is such an interesting player. Look, he's played over 800 games in the NHL for a reason. Coaches and managers like him. I have found with uh, the feedback I get from listeners, there's very little middle ground with Chris Russell. He's either a solid guy you love having on your team or he should be playing like a senior C in Caroline. Well, that's that's hilariously true, isn't it? The thing with Chris Russell is he's been, since he signed here, he's been such a lightning rod with the fans. Either you're on the analytics argument of the side of the aisle where you look at his underlying numbers and you say, well, this guy can't play, this guy can't play. But then you see the other side of fans where they look at him as a guy who is willing to sacrifice his body in the name of defense. So the truth is, as we know, Reed is always somewhere in the middle. I think that had Chris Russell not been overpaid by the previous regime then we wouldn't be having most of these conversations i think that at 1.25 million bucks it is appropriate for where he's going to play in the lineup and i kind of i get it i understand why ken holland would bring him back by all accounts he's a popular teammate popular in the room and we know that he's willing to sacrifice himself for his teammates so i think there's value there and i think at 1.25 it's you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who's too too upset about it do you know what i mean well, I think that's the, the the key thing. He's going to be paid by uh, uh, a jet. He'll be paid like a depth defenseman, which is kind of the, the role he is now. You know, he's been on the bottom pairing. And, and maybe, maybe this, the season after this one, maybe he's the 7-8, right? Maybe he plays half the games and spots in, and, and spots in when, when needed. Hey, I, I got to ask you, non-sports related, I thought I heard a dog bark at the beginning of the interview. Is that the one and only Frank? That was Frank. You know what? He gets very, very excited when 630 Chad comes on the radio. So he gets fired up. He loves talk radio. He loves inside sports. So it's hard to keep his excitement contained on a special, momentous night like this when you and I get to have a conversation on the Chad Airways. 
Yeah, I'm sure Frank is just fired up whenever he hears uh, my voice. I'm literally like a dog whistle for people. How, how are things over at the Nation? I mean, obviously, uh, you know, it's a weird time uh, covering hockey. So what's going on at Oilers Nation these days? It, it's just it's endlessly weird, isn't it? Because right now we're, at, we're heading into the back end of October where – you know, you and I already discussed that four years ago, I was in Winnipeg watching a Heritage Classic, where now we're still in the middle of an offseason, and we don't really know when the season, when hockey's going to come back. The target date of January 1st is great, but I also remember not too long ago when December 1st was the target date, so we kind of have to take it day by day, which makes things interesting and also challenging, but we've we've had a very busy month. You know, the draft was successful. I thought the Oilers did some interesting things. First time ever that they went all forward at the draft that was interesting to watch they had you know for the most part a solid start to free agency got some deals done with not very much cap space available to do it so we've been very busy and now we're just kind of looking ahead and trying to create content and make sure that there's stuff for people to read and enjoy even while we wait for the nhl to come back all right how do people follow you on twitter jsbm bag milk on twitter I am there with all the hockey takes you could ever need and possibly pictures of my dog, Frank. He's very handsome. And if anything else, you should follow me just for the dog pictures. Uh, I, I agree. Hey, Bag Milk, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, you're always welcome and you're always entertaining. Thank you so much, buddy. Have a great weekend. Anytime, my friends. That is Bag Milk from Oilers Nation and OilersNation.com. It, it's not his real name. He's told the story. When he was a much younger man, he uh, picked a silly pseudonym to have for himself as a blogger, and now he's a really big-name blogger, but he's, he's stuck with bag milk. So, well, I guess there are worse names, I suppose, you could have, or worse names you could have been given, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it was good to have him on the broadcast, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm looking back on that Oilers 16-17 uh, season. 7-2 and two in October, had a tough November, went 5-8-2. and two. Uh, then we're seven two and five in December, nine four and one in January, and then uh, onto the playoffs for there from there, which unfortunately ended with that seven game loss to the uh, Anaheim Ducks. For more on the current edition of the Oilers, head to the page on 630shed.com, globalnews.ca. Besides bag milk, you heard from Madison Willen, Evan Dom, John Shannon, Mike Johnson. Had a really good phone call from Grace. Thanks for your text messages as well. Monday, I'm back with you at 6. Don't forget the Double E Football Team Coaches Show is at 7.30 with Milanovic and Morley. Dave Campbell's the producer of Inside Sports. Kellen Kennedy, your studio operator. My name's Reed. Have a great weekend. Friday. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.